I discovered years ago that your head's just a crappy office. And it's possible to be buried and have tons of stuff and all kinds of plates spinning in the air and actually have nothing on your mind so you're totally present with whatever you're doing. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights. And I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mind Valley. And right now, Mind Valley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mind Valley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before, and see how amazing this transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as superhumans at work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page, which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you can also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. And the guest I have today is speaking of one of my favorite topics. If you've been following me so far, you know that I'm someone that's always looking for the most optimum ways to do everything. A little bit lazy, but actually just always looking to make a bigger impact. By doing so, I need to optimize, do things better, more productive. Matter of fact, want to get more things done. Getting things done is something we all strive to do more of, especially if you're a superhuman. And so I have the one and only David Allen, who's going to be on the show with us today, speaking about the methodology of GTD, which is the trademark. We're talking about getting things done methodology. This has transformed millions of lives around the world. It's one of the de facto books that you want to pick up if you're looking to be more productive, structured, and getting those things done. We're talking about the author, the book itself, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Is it possible? Do you want to apply this in your life? We're going to talk about this and so much more with the one of and only David Allen. David, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for the invitation. Now, I have a weird question to kick this off because we know that technology is getting better and better. And we would think that a lot of these tools that are coming out are supposed to make us more productive. Yet, I'm seeing more and more people, including myself, being distractive, losing track of things. And so why is it that the promise of technology making us more productive seems to have been working a little in the opposite direction? Are we doing things wrong? Well, the technology has run faster than the mental technology. So people's thought processes have not been able to catch up with the speed and the volume and the changeability that the digital world has brought to us. And so a lot of what my methodology was, was understanding, recognizing the best practice thought process that needs to be used to apply to all those tools. If you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive. If you don't, you're toast. And what have we seen? Is it an acceleration of getting chaos in the process? Because you've written this book several years ago, and it seems now like with these technologies, things happen faster. And the way you're saying it right now is the chaos will happen faster. And so how do we get this mental game to catch up? 
<laughs> getting things done is actually a martial art. It's an art like ballet or cooking or parenting or any of that stuff. A lot of what I'm sure you guys in Mind Ballet teach, you know, you could put in an artistic form. It's a craft, it's an art. You know, how do you live life? You know, it's kind of life 101 stuff. And that kind of craft actually has some best practices that you're not born doing. So there are ways to engage with this world. And it's true, Jason, as I mentioned before, the digital world, what's changed, not a whole lot in terms of game-changing technology. What it's done is speed things up and add volume to it and add the changeability factor. So, you know, the, <laughs> nothing's new except how frequently things are new. You and I, as we're speaking right now, stuff is landing in your in-basket, stuff is landing in my email that could totally blow the hell out of what we think our priorities are going to be when we get off this conversation. And, you know, a lot of people would be bored stupid if you didn't have that kind of engaged, fast-changing life with all those opportunities. But to a large degree, it's the stress of opportunity. You know, I used to say it would, you know, people are overwhelmed, and certainly my methodology helps people get out from under overwhelm. But overwhelm, if you're really overwhelmed, you handle that. In other words, if your building caught on fire right now, Jason, that would be an overwhelming thing, but you would deal with it, right? You'd focus. It would get you into your flow. You'd get into your zone because you'd focus on live. <laughs> you know, and be very clear about next actions. Be very clear about course correcting as you move forward. So that happens to be a high-performance behavior. It's just that most people wait until a crisis forces them into that kind of behavior. But you can learn that kind of behavior without being in a crisis. How fast can you engage with the new stuff coming at you? How quickly can you make decisions about what exactly it means and what you're going to do about it? And how well do you have a trusted external brain to capture the stuff that you've clarified that you need to be reminded of at the appropriate time and context? And by the way, how often are you doing the absolutely critical reflective time that you need to step back and take a look at the gestalt, the whole picture of all of your commitments? Jason, most people have 30 to 100 projects and over 150 next actions on all the moving parts of their life and work right now. That's typical, right? And most people are trying to use their head as their office, and your head is a crappy office. I discovered that 35 years ago, but those cognitive scientists have basically researched that in the last 10 years and proven that if you're trying to manage more than four things in your head, in that office called your brain, you are going to sub-optimize your behavior, your perception, and your performance, and you're going to tend to be driven by what's latest and loudest instead of intuitive strategic intelligence. So there was a, <laughs> there was a, a long-winded <laughs> you know, spiel you know, about what's different these days and the need you know, for a good thought process. Well, you say that, Dave, and you know, you're striking the right chords here. Like, this is what's happening. A lot of us are feeling, I mean, you're talking to me and I'm like, yeah, that, that seems like a lot of times how my life feels, especially when you talk about the acceleration of information in the digital age. Like most people who might be listening to this right now are sitting on an inbox with hundreds, if not thousands of emails that are waiting there without necessarily a great structure on how to prioritize that or they're gonna have all these tasks held into their heads, or they're gonna have this list that's in Apple Notes, or they're gonna have this list on Evernote, or they're gonna jump on this new tool that helps them do something else to get that, what you called a second brain, which is kind of where I wanna bring this is, what is this idea of a second brain and how do we overcome the limitations of our crappy brain? Well, anybody listening to this who actually manages or has a calendar or scheduler or agenda is already demonstrating the need for an external brain. Right? If you don't think you need some place externally to hold that stuff, throw away your calendar. Do it all in your head. And people go, oh, no, no, I, I might miss an appointment. No, no kidding. So if you're doing it with your calendar, why aren't you doing it with all the rest of your life? 
And the problem is, as you actually, you know, pretty well identified it right there, is that most people don't trust either their head or their systems because there's still stuff banging around in their head. There's still stuff banging around in an incomplete, unclear system that's not trusted. Most people trust their calendar, assuming that you're looking at it as often as you need to, to make sure you don't miss appointments. In a sense, it's no different than that. It's just, I discovered years ago that your head's just a crappy office and it's possible to be buried and have tons of stuff and all kinds of plates spinning in the air and actually have nothing on your mind. So you're totally present with whatever you're doing. I'm demonstrating that. I've been doing that for 35 years, but that's not free. You can't get that one by meditating or drinking. I know I do both, but <laughs> those don't clear my head. One of them numbs my head. The other leaves my head. Right. <laughs> but while you were there, you know, if you want to be clear and present with whatever you're dealing with, you need to capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage in your stuff. And those are, of course, the five steps that I identified that we all do to take any situation, get it more under control and more focused. Now, I want to get into your methodology because it's very powerful. And you kind of gave a clue as to what the process here is because it almost seems like we're looking at the task of productivity or task management as being very binary, whereas like I'm not doing it or I'm perfect doing it. And you labeled this at the beginning, like an art, a martial arts. And obviously there's belts that you graduate to while you practice. And so when I'm looking at a system with the five steps that you have, which have a lot of structure, how do I get excited about or have hope that even if I'm at a white belt, that I'm going to get to a yellow belt and knowing that this is the process I should follow. Because I feel a lot of times people get excited about starting a new process. They'll, they'll read a blog post online. They'll read about GTD, but then they don't commit to continuing through that martial arts. And so what do you usually tell people who are dabbling into becoming more productive? They see this methodology, they see the five steps and you tell them you're going to go through the belts and it's worth it. Well, you're going to go through the belts and it's worth it as long as you stick with it. But come on, Jason, it doesn't take but a, two minutes to experience the value of this. Anybody listening to this, just get a favorite pen if you don't have it in front of you. And by the way, if you don't have it in front of you with a piece of paper, shame on you. Because you know, God knows when the lightning is going to strike and you get an idea that's not directly in what you're doing, but you don't want to lose that idea. Where are you going to put it? What are you going to do with that? So the first thing, all you got to do, guys, is take a pen and paper and take 30 seconds and write down the top 10 things that have your attention right now. Oh, I need to go to the bank and I have this tooth that needs to, I need to hire somebody. I need really need a new desk for my new home office I'm just setting up. I got to handle my kids getting into school, whatever the next season is, yada, yada, yada. Just write all those down. Don't organize them. Don't prioritize them. Just capture them. And then go through each one, one at a time and say, what's the very next thing? If that's the only thing I wanted to get closure on, what's the very next action I would need to take? An email I need to send, something to talk to my life partner about, something to buy at the hardware store. What's next? What's the very next thing? And write that down and then see how you feel. I guarantee you, you're going to feel more focused, more in control, more stable in your life. And it only takes two minutes to do that because these are not behaviors like some new methodology, like some new technology or foreign language, guys. You all know how to write stuff down. You all know how to decide what's the next step on something. You all know how to keep lists. You all know how to look at a list and make a decision about which errands you want to run or you know, what you need to talk to your boss about or your partner with. So these are not hard, just very few people are really doing those. And they think that their brain has seduced them to thinking that just because they think of it, that it's going to handle it. it doesn't. I want to also elaborate on the fact that sometimes you just think of it and you feel like you need to do it right then and there. From what I understand, that's a big no-no. Well, if you can do it in two minutes, you ought to, because it would take you longer to track it and organize it and review it than to do it. 
So that's the magic two minute rule. So once you figure out what the next step is on something, if you can do it in two minutes, here, just go ahead and do it. And there are a lot of things out there, even strategic things where the next action is just a two minute action. That's a quick email you need to send. It's a quick little surf the web I need to do. It's a quick thing to talk to my life partner about. So a lot of that stuff actually can happen pretty fast. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But to the point that if it takes longer than two minutes and it's something you can't delegate, meaning you got to do it at some point, and it's going to, you know, it's something you need to draft at the computer. It's a, you know, a good bit of research you need to do about a topic on the web. It's restructuring your home office now that actually works. And so it's smooth, you know, for you to do work. Those things are going to take longer than two minutes. So those are the things you need to keep track of. So you don't run down some rabbit hole simply by what's latest and loudest, where you can step back and take a look at which one of those things seems to be that would make the biggest difference to you. The progress was made on it. And that's how I prioritize. I just say, well, what's most got my attention? What do I need to do to get it off my mind? So sometimes off my mind is go do it. But most of the time off my mind means park a reminder in the right place that I trust I'm going to see at the right time. Then it's off my mind. As long as I trust, I'm going to be engaging with the system in some appropriate context. Mm. I love this idea because right now you're even reminding me of every single time I've felt overwhelmed. And for those listening also, I'm sure this relates. You feel overwhelmed. It's like you feel you have a thousand things to do and you're just at a roadblock. And you're talking about the best technology here, the pen and the pad, where every single time I've had this sense of overwhelm, I applied exactly what you just shared, which is just writing it down and starting from scratch. You get everything down. And I guess this would be the step one. This is the capture phase, right? Is just when you're in a sense of overwhelm is taking a pause and doing a full inventory check. And you've already spoken about the second step, which is just understanding from each of the things you've written down, what is the next action? This is the clarifying step. Am I correct? Correct. Well, not only what the next action is, well, what's the nature of that thing? See, we get a lot of things, you know, e emails and even ideas we have that, you know, there's no action to do on it. It's either trash, God, what a dumb idea, or that's junk mail. I don't need it, didn't need it. So that's delete, you know, forget it, whatever. It could be referenced. Hey, that's a good idea, but no, nothing to do on it. But I want to capture that somewhere and park that somewhere as reference material. So in case I need it, you know, that really good wine somebody recommended or that restaurant somebody recommended, or, hey, that's a cool quote I might want to use at some point. And those are... That's reference material. So it could be that, that you captured as well. Or it could be something, you know, I might want to move on that, but I can't do it yet because, you know, I don't have the money yet or I don't have the bandwidth to move on that. But it's a cool idea. So that's the someday maybe category on hold. It's either trash or reference material or something on hold. If it's anything that you say I have action about, yes, I do need to move on the bank thing. I do need to move on my tooth. I do need to move on kids in school. Then, yes. A key question to answer is what's the very next action? If you haven't answered that, you haven't finished your thinking and the thing will spin. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Decide. You can change your mind, but at least make a decision so that some part of you says, well, here's how I would engage. And you lower the barrier of entry to actually getting involved in moving forward on the thing. But the second question then to really get clear about anything is, will one action complete whatever your commitment is with this? Is calling the dentist going to fix your tooth? No. The tooth has got to be fixed. You got to feel comfortable. So now you've got a project by my broad definition of project is any outcome that you want to achieve that one action or one sitting is not going to finish it. That means a project. That's why I mentioned earlier that most people have 30 to 100 of those. Get tires on your car, handle the tooth, hire the vice president, get your kids into the right educational model for the next season, you know, redo your home office. Oh my God, you know, yada, yada, yada. And by the way, this has no distinction between personal and professional. 
because you can be as distracted by your personal stuff and your professional life as you're distracted about your work while you're in your personal game. So it's all about all of it. Once you get it out of your head, then a lot of customizing is how do you keep track of this? And that's where the different kind of lists come into play. That's step three, which is where you organize reminders of phone calls you need to make, errands you need to run, stuff to talk to people about, and where you keep track of all the projects you've got. That's the real content that you can then park in your external brain. And what I love, I think I remember it was the work of a gentleman called Michael Hammer. He wrote a book, I think, called The Agenda. This was early 2000. He spoke about how, you know, a lot of times you have the people, there's technology, and there's processes. And what you're speaking of is usually what I would think is the default that us as people trying to get organized feel that the technology is what's going to fix our problems, yet we don't spend time to understand what is the art or the process that needs to be done so that it's done or utilized correctly. So I've witnessed myself oftentimes saying, oh, yeah, if I just get this new platform, I'll solve my problem. And yet I never had (laughs) the foundation of the processes. And what you're laying down is a methodology that's been used for years, recognized worldwide. Matter of fact, I think it was the Time magazine that recognized this as the definitive business self-help book of the decade. That's no small feat. That's a legendary proof of why it's effective. And so to reinforce for people who are considering following the GTD method, you're talking about you know a tried and true tested methodology that is worth going through the belts to get to that black belt level because the ultimate goal here, from what I would assume, is freedom. Like freedom to actually not be running around, dealing with everything like it's an urgent thing, all over the place. You're really having a structure. And you even mentioned how it ties into the personal life and the business so seamlessly, which begs the question, do you try to separate work and personal life when you organize around this methodology or is it fully blended together? Well, if you're asking me personally, I've never split them for 35 years. It's all just one thing because you can only do one thing at a time. You just need to make sure you're comfortable with that choice. But in order to be comfortable with that choice, I need to see a map of the whole picture quickly. A lot of this is about getting a map. Your calendar is a map. Orient yourself in space and time. You look at, oh, here's what the day looks like. Here's what the week looks like. Okay, well, that's great. You just stepped up. You just lifted up your horizon a little bit so you could locate yourself appropriately in space and time instead of just being driven by latest and loudest down in the weeds all the time. Now, very easy if you want to split those and to have, here's my personal calls and here's my business calls or here's my whatever. If you want to, here's my personal project versus my other. That's fine. As long as you look at all of those in some appropriate context and over some appropriate recursion so that some part of you knows you're not missing anything. See, a lot of people get really engaged in their work because they, they hate their personal life, don't want to think about it. And a lot of people go avoid their professional world because, and, you know, involved in their personal life because they, they, <laughs> they are uncomfortable and overwhelmed and, you know, with their business stuff. But again, back to the point where it's not so much overwhelmed. And lately in the last few years, I've really started to describe what this addresses and why it's such an issue and why it's a habit that people have to change is most people are used to what I call ambient anxiety and they're willing to tolerate it. Ambient anxiety, that vague, weird sense that there's stuff I probably would, could, should, ought to be doing, but I'm not sure this is what I'm doing, so I go play solitaire on the computer. <laughs> or I go do something that lets me feel at least sort of engaged and, you know, and positive about what I'm doing and forward moving as opposed to the right thing. You know, that I should be doing. And so it's that ambient anxiety, and people have often asked, what's the biggest barrier to people actually implementing this, you know, these habits and this methodology? And I just say it's your addiction to that ambient anxiety, your addiction to that stress. That doesn't mean you're going out to shoot up that stress. It means you're willing to tolerate it. I'm not. 
and I'm a freedom, like to your point, I'm, I'm a freedom guy. People often think, wow, David, that, you know, if you just look at my book or look at the methodology, you say, oh, that's just too much structure. And I go, well, what's just too much? What's too much? Write down stuff that has your attention. That's too much. <laughs> Excuse me. By the way, decide what you wrote down and what's got your attention, what you're going to do about it and what outcome you're committed to. Is that too much? Is keeping a list of all the things that you need to be reminded about in any particular context, is that too much? And by the way, making sure that you engage and look at all that and keep all that current so your head's clear and empty and you're able to be present with whatever you're doing, is that too much? You know, so give me a break. These are, <laughs> all I did was, I didn't make these up, Jason. I identified what we do if you really want to get present. And, you know, it's about freedom, but it's also just about being present. And, you know, come on, I'm sure the Mind Valley folks have got a lot of mindfulness stuff going on and lots of training and people talking about that. But I learned that in the martial arts when I was in my 20s. The best way to engage with surprise if four people jump you in a dark alley is a clear head. And very specific exercises to clear your head. Focus on your breathing is the most obvious one. You know, is to get you present. But I'm talking about really being present about everything in your life so that then you can deal with the surprise, which we started this conversation about. There's so much of that coming at us, you know, so your ability to be able to engage with that, with surprise, with change, with things you don't expect. If you're loaded down with stuff in your head, it's all going to feel overwhelming. As a matter of fact, any one thing, any one big change, matter of fact, when uh, Corona hit and people had to then engage with all kinds of things, if that thing wasn't under control, it makes your whole life feel out of control. So any one thing, particularly any important or strategic things that you haven't applied this methodology about, so you can get it off your mind and get it done, then it's going to color your whole life with a negative spin. So I'm sorry, don't shoot the messenger, guys. I'm just reporting. You know, that is the way things kind of are out there. And, you know, there is a way, the way out, but the way out is through. It's not around. It's not about buying a new tech. As a matter of fact, buy a new tech, now you got a new project. <laughs> Figure that out. Right. <laughs> it's like just what you need is another project. Well, it becomes another problem if you don't have the handle on it. Right. I love how you brought the reference about the pandemic happening. Like the whole COVID thing is that, you know, a lot of people had their life feel like it was out of control. And if there was one thing that I felt gave me kind of that meditative, that therapy, you could almost say for me, and yeah, I know the mindfulness techniques, but me was getting my productivity things under control was what would give me that greatest sense of having some control over the outcomes and realizing I don't need to panic. Everything's fine and I can track it and rely on it, which as you're applying this technique, right? Because it's simple. You can have everything at the one place, like a calendar. You say you have the calendar, you trust it. What have you noticed are the best ways that people can start when it comes to organizing this, are there certain, like you talk about the pen and the pad as a beginning step, is that something where you track everything or are there some tools that we should look at to support us in the process? Well, important distinction, an important distinction is the difference between capturing and organizing. Those are very different things. If you're taking notes in a meeting, you have to go back and then think through those notes about what you need to keep track of based upon what happened in that meeting. That's the difference between capture. Capture just says, here's a possible thing I might need to should do something about, but don't know yet what to do about it, but I need to get it out. And that's the capture process. And that's why in my case, anyway, personally, 95, 98% of my capture is low tech. No clicks required, no batteries, no Wi-Fi. That's why I always have a little pad with me and a little pin anywhere I am. It fits in my pocket. That's not my organization system. That's my capture system. 
And then, you know, the notes that I take, sometimes I'm out for dinner and I've got two or three pages of these in my little notepad, just ideas and thoughts, stuff I don't want to lose. I just tear those out and throw those in my physical in basket. And then the clarify and organize step means get my in trays empty. And the way you do that is pick it up and go through this process. Okay, David, what about those notes? Oh, dumb idea. I thought it was great last night, but you know, what a stupid idea. Throw it away. Or, God, that's really a cool thing. That reminds me, you know, I think I ought to. And then I go through a thinking process, which is the clarification step. What do these things mean? And what am I going to do specifically about it? And again, if I can't finish it in two minutes, then I park it in my system. And the system itself is just a list manager. You know, list managers are hundreds, if not thousands of those out there. All they are a list. At last count, there were over 300 apps that have been built around the GTD methodology. Not mine. They're just people say, oh, wow, hey, all we need are lists and bells and whistles add to the list manager. That's really all they are. But a lot of high-tech people I know are going back to paper planners because that's a fast way to make lists. It's in your face and no clicks required, especially if they have attention issues. Every click is too much work you know, to try to get into the system and access it. So there's no right system. There's just whatever system you'll use, you know, whatever you use best to maintain list. Any of those work if you work them. But again, you have to work them. You know, we talked about the five steps. You listed them out. I'm going to repeat them here where you got step one, capture, step two, clarify, step three, organize, step four, reflect, and step five, engage. I wanted to go into the reflect stage a little more. How different is the clarifying stage from the reflection stage? And why is it so important that you're distincting both? Well, in a sense, you're reflecting all the time as you're using any of these, even capturing, you're sort of reflecting, what should I capture? What do I not need to capture? So there's a reflection process, which means thinking, you know, you're just thinking, you know, all the time. And of course, the thinking process is the clarified process. Okay, what am I going to do about this email? Okay, here's probably what I need to do. That's a thinking process. So you're also reflecting on that specific thing. You're thinking about it. What we usually mean by reflection is stepping back and seeing the larger gestalt, sort of managing the forest instead of hugging the trees. And that could look like a lot of things. It could look like just a weekly review, which is one of the most important ones for this methodology is once a week catch up. You and me both, as well as anybody listening to this, has had stuff happen in the last two or three days. They haven't had time to figure out exactly what they're going to do about it or what the next step is. They just know they got it. Right. So that's <laughs> when are you going to do that? And so catching up and making sure your system is current so you trust it, so your brain can truly relax and let go of the remember-remind job, because it does not do that very well. It did not evolve to remember or remind with more than four things. It evolved to do very cool stuff, which is to be able to look at a whole list and look at the whole gestalt and make an intuitive decision about which one is best to do. No tool can do that except your brain and your intuition. So that's one you're not going to replace. What you need to do is to change your brain's job from remembering and reminding to just making good choices over stuff you have captured and organized, right? And that's where the reflect process comes in. Anybody who's looked at their calendar has already done a reflection process, just that. But you might need to reflect on your strategic plan for your company, or you might need to reflect on your job description of things have changed and you need to talk to your boss about that. You might need to reflect with your life partner about where you're going in your life and your work and lifestyle. You might need to reflect on what would wild success look like five years from now. You might need to reflect on what's your real purpose in life and what are the core values you've got. So those are the six horizons, you know, that I identified that we actually have commitments with ourselves, whether you're conscious of them or not. And any one of those could be the source or it could be the content of what you need to reflect on. How often do you need to reflect on your life purpose and your core values? 
probably not until somebody steps on them or until you get a great opportunity or challenge, which forces you to rethink them. You know, so again, a lot of these people ask, well, when, David, when do you do that kind of reflection? I say, whenever I need to. <laughs> I plan as little as I can get by with, guys. People, they see my structure and they say, God, David, you must be the most anal retentive corporate button down guy you've ever met. And you actually hang out with me. You go, God, you know, this guy, <laughs> I'm nothing like what people's image of me think it might be. I love being spontaneous and following my intuitive hunches. I think that's where success comes from. I just discovered this methodology makes it a lot easier to do that. I love how you structured that. And obviously you're talking to fans of Mind Valley here. So we're definitely striking the same chord here. This is amazing. This is truly what we're all seeking to do is have more of that time to focus on thinking about bigger, bigger problems to solve, not only in our own lives, but in the world in general. I remember myself, like I took a step back from just feeling like I was a hamster running in a wheel doing the same things, getting tasks done, repeating the emails. And that's maybe an operating mode that a lot of us seem to find ourselves naturally when we don't have structure on the everyday things coming into our lives. We just operate from like the lowest fight or flight response mode in our brains. And what you're really saying here is you've taken the time to look at what is the best structure that allows you to actually get all of that mental freedom so you can step into higher cognitive thinking, solve bigger problems, set bigger visions, set bigger goals, and truly find ourselves that we can delegate or delete a majority of those things, find ourselves being able to not spend all that energy and that reminder and kind of overthinking on something that you could just write down, park aside, realize its relevance is not as urgent as you thought because we become so emotional when we have that big to-do list of <laughs> remembering all these things in our own mind you're giving us the ultimate freedom. And now guess what? You get to live this kind of lifestyle that takes advantage of our best traits as human beings that isn't being replaced by machines. This is amazing, which, you know, I want to bring this to a close is like, how do you see when more and more people start applying these, what are the types of transformations you've been seeing when people come to you and say, I've applied this in my life. And now like, look what changes I've seen what would be the biggest thing you'd want people to remember so that they can go ahead and grab this book, start applying this methodology and see the results for themselves? Well, here's the big mission and vision that we have with this work, to create a world where there are no problems, only projects. So it doesn't mean that life is easy. If life was easy, you'd never grow, expand, express, you know, express yourself. So you don't want life to be easy. It doesn't even need to be fun. You just need to be appropriately engaged with your life in a positive direction. So, you know, happiness is highly overrated. It's not like being cheerful all the time. It's not like tee hee ha ha stuff. It's like I'm in the driver's seat. This is not fun, but I'm engaged appropriately in dealing with this situation. So as soon as you let stuff lie around, yes, things show up as problems. You know, a problem with our technology, problem with the weather, you know, they show up as opportunities to improve, you know, really. I mean, I don't sound too positive thinking about that. But it's kind of like, okay, now what do we do about it? We need to fix it. We need to get this under cruise control. We need to get this resolved. We need to get this clarified. Great. What's the next step? That doesn't sound necessarily like fun, but it is highly productive to think that way and to be that way. I'll be a little bit of an iconoclast right now and give a cautionary tale. A favorite book of mine, by the way, that if anybody listening to this, it's called The Antidote by Oliver Berkman, a Brit. Funny as hell, well-written the subtitle is happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. So a lot of it is about where he goes back to the Stoics and even a lot of the history about the acceptance of reality. If you don't accept what your reality is, 
don't even forget it. And by the way, if your day-to-day is out of control, don't try to think about vision and purpose or goals. You'll just create frustration and guilt and blow fuses, right? As a matter of fact, a lot of the very sophisticated people that I've coached, their biggest issue is on the ground and on the runway is dealing with all that stuff and the stuff they wake up with million dollar ideas, but they don't know where to put them or who to give them to or how to track it, how to make sure that they can execute on that cool stuff. And a strange paradox here, cautionary tale, is that (laughs) the better you get, the better you better get. The people most attracted to what I do and what I teach are the people who need it the least. They're already the most organized, productive, proactive, positive thinking people you'd ever meet. They just throw themselves out of their own comfort zone, out of their own creativity and success. (laughs) So they'd be considered by anybody the most productive people you ever met. But when they come to me, they say, but I'm up to here. I've got no more room. And you don't need time for a good idea. You need space. You don't need time to be strategic or creative or loving and present. And yet most people would say those are kind of golden goodies in life is to be strategic, be creative, be present, be loving. Yeah, those are great. But you don't need time for those. They don't require time. Right? They require space. You need room. If you're still wrapped around some meeting you haven't hand dealt with you know, appropriately all day, it's hard to tuck your kids into bed you know, and be really present and loving with them. So you need that kind of room. So everything we've been talking about is how do I get room in my psyche, in my cognitive process, so that I'm present with whatever I'm doing, whether that's cooking spaghetti or tucking the kids in or writing a business plan. You know, being present is the best place to hit a golf ball from, best place to cook spaghetti from. David, thank you so much for sharing these amazing insights on our show. For everybody listening, I hope you're realizing how powerful it is when you start applying a system like GTD into your life. We're going to make sure there's a lot of reference links in the show notes. So be sure to go in there and go and dig deep into this methodology. Pick up the book, follow everything that David Allen does. He is a genius and a very friendly man, even though his system is being told to be very structured. Guess what? It gives you that freedom to be able to have the space so that you can do the things you want, make the difference you want, and live the life that you truly want without feeling that overwhelmed because all of that's going to be under control when you have a system that is so structured like this five-step program, which is, guess what? You have the choice. You can apply the system that gives you that freedom or you can deal with that anxiety that keeps perpetuating into your life that we tolerate. We don't need to do that. The world needs a lot of us doing incredible things. There's a lot of projects on this planet And when we do something with the GTD method, you find yourself being able to solve a lot of those projects much better, much quicker with a lot less stress. David, thank you again so much for coming on the show and everybody listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that All Access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. Mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.